Voice of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org. I, of course, am NC Scout coming at you live from the guerrilla camp located deep in the heart of rural northern North Carolina. I'm sitting here with a guest that I've had on frequently, uh, always an honor to talk to, and that is Mr. Matthew Williams of Knightsbridge Research a private intelligence firm, and I'm grinning from ear to ear because every conversation we've had, uh, I've went back and referenced over and over again. I think you guys are ahead of the curve on, on a lot of stuff uh, that is going on out there. Your breakdown and analysis of, of the things, the nuts and bolts going on in the world, especially as it pertains to the United States, uh, whether that's governmental, whether that is business, on the business end of things, I think that you've been spot on. Uh, so, brother, it is great to have you on. Yeah, thanks. It's it's great to, to be on with you, uh, as always. I appreciate the kind words, for sure. We're, um, we're certainly trying to uh, stay out ahead of things and provide some um, predictive intelligence for our subscribers and uh, yeah, I certainly appreciate the the endorsement there. Yeah, man. Well, it's it's earned. It is certainly earned. It is certainly well deserved. And you know, some of the things that are dominating the news cycle right now. I mean, you know, Ukraine. We could probably do an entire episode on Ukraine right now, as it pertains mm -hmm. to the, the Abramses getting over there. Some of the stuff that I've seen from the various Telegram channels, um, which are fairly interesting. Uh, Wagner's Telegram channel, what they're saying, uh, what the Ukrainian state me media is putting out as well. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I hate to say it, man, but I, I really don't think that their prospects are, are looking too hot. But uh, we, yeah. we could really go deep into that. But I, you know, I want to talk about something a lot closer to home in this episode. This is one that way more important. Um, there is so many things that are happening just to the south of our southern border right now. And I would say, as a matter of opinion, but this is an opinion that's shared by a lot of people, that we're being invaded. I mean, th these these aren't people who are just coming across the border. You know, it, it, uh, all, all of the arguments that we've traditionally heard from the left, you know, when you look at the number of military-age males, 
and where some of these people are coming from, where most of these people are coming from. Um, you know, we're, we're not getting the best and brightest for sure. And uh, it looks like to me, the situation is very reminiscent of the early 1980s when the Cuban government under Fidel Castro emptied its prisons, put all of these people knowing that they were bad actors onto boats and dumped them off in, in Miami, which was a very uh, effective form of gray zone warfare. You know, we don't really like to think about it like that uh, necessarily, but that that's exactly what was occurring. And they knew that it was going to happen. Uh, they, they knew that. They drove uh, a, a tinderbox that was occurring in Miami with the drug trafficking, the drug trade. It drove it through the roof uh, in terms of violence and, and uh, you know, everything that unfolded. So I think that we're, we're really set. A lot of our border towns are already experiencing this, uh, an uptick in everything. You know, the, the mayor of El Paso, Texas, uh, is, is really outspoken about the, the danger and the precariousness of the situation right now. Um, and a lot of the other border town mayors are saying this as well. But it's not just that. I mean, we're seeing New York City uh, with Eric Adams. Um, you know, and, and this, the, the, the politics of the situation are one thing. The reality is quite another, um, you know, you have the mayor of Dallas switching political parties, I think, which was extremely significant. And we can't say that the situation on the border was not at least in part, uh, a precipitating event leading up to that. So with, with all of that said, uh, break down for us, if you will, you guys as an assessment on the situation at the border, where these people are coming from, why they're coming here, uh, what is bringing them here, what is perpetuating all these things, and where do you think it's going? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to talk for the next four hours now um, <laughs> to appropriately cover all that. <laughs> so pull up the um, Hand off. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Big picture, right? So taking a bit of a step back. So I like to start big picture. I like to start with the overall context uh, when it comes to any any particular situation, right? Um, overall, if you take a, a big picture look at all of Latin America, right? You see consistently that the economic trajectory for nearly every one of those nations is is downward, right? Argentina, for example, um, I, I feel like we get horrible news out of Argentina uh, weekly that, that we put in our hotspot report, right? About inflation soaring over 100%, poverty is now over 40%, all this stuff, right? Um, Peru, slightly better, but not really. Um, the inflation is not as bad, but the poverty rates are just as bad. Um, you start going through these lists of countries, right? You look at Bolivia, you look at Venezuela, you look at Chile. Brazil's the, the big one, but it's a bit of an exception. Brazil's doing okay on the economic front. And then you start looking at Central America, same story. Things are not going well economically. Uh, gang violence is soaring everywhere except El Salvador because uh, El Salvador is all in on stopping that. Um, but the, the overall environment in these countries is very, very negative, right? Very, very negative. Not a lot of prospects of of that changing in the near term. So um, a lot of these, these folks who are headed north uh, are indeed seeking, they're, they're economic refugees, right? They are seeking 
some form of better life. But then when you and, and that's not enough, right, to cause massive amounts of northbound migration. Um, but when you couple that with the the overall uh, environment in the United States for those immigrating into the U.S., uh, there are a lot of handouts, a lot of handouts. Um, once you make it here, it's not that you're going to live a wealthy life, right? You're not you're not making a hundred thousand dollars, right, by crossing the border. That that's not the scenario. But it's probably much better and much safer uh, and much more stable than the life you left, right? So big picture, a lot of that is going on. Now we could talk for hours about. Uh, there's a lot of military age males from China that are crossing the border. Probably a different scenario there. I don't think they're crossing the border for economic reasons. But by and large, the majority of uh, those who are moving up across the U.S. southern border are looking for economic betterment in some form or fashion. And the U.S. policies, you know, under the current administration are very much encouraging that. I, I don't care what the spokespeople say. Right. They're, the policies as they currently stand are encouraging that. Um, so big picture that that's what's going on. You also you've seen a lot of other countries just recently, just this year, uh, especially in Central America, that are starting to uh, have to make some hard decisions about the damage that this mass migration through their countries is doing. So, for example, Costa Rica just this week, actually, um, Costa Rica announced that they were declaring a state of emergency. They were deploying additional police forces and some of the military to some of their southern areas because you've got, for example, one small town in southern Costa Rica that has 20,000 people in it. They had 60,000 migrants uh, and they were fighting with the police. They were stealing everything that these the civilians, the citizens there owned. Um, and, and so there's a lot of that going on too. Panama has had to take action like that. Um, Panama and Colombia tried to roll out uh, basically this whole campaign back in the spring to encourage people to not move through their countries. And that utterly and completely failed, absolutely crashed and burned. Uh, so now they're just moving them through faster, right? Trying to get them on buses, get them through uh, our country as quickly as possible, right? Um, so overall, you know, the overall environment's quite negative. Um, a lot of these countries are really up against the wall. They're not really sure how to handle this. Uh, but ultimately, uh, because the U.S. border is uh, insecure as it is, because the U.S. is willing to uh, bus you or fly you to other parts of the country where you want to be once you get here, because the U.S. will feed you and clothe you and um, provide medical care and all, all of those things, you know, this I don't see this stopping anytime soon. The, the policies, the U.S. policies have to change dramatically um, and, and really that's the underlying problem here. Um, you've also got, like I mentioned, you've got uh, nations that are uh, enemies of America, uh, or should I say in strategic competition <laughs> with America. <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's a hell of a way to put that. But I, yeah. I can't say it without laughing, but that is, that's what the general said. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Such as China, uh, and and others, right? Iran, some other countries like that. They're, they're just taking advantage of the situation. Um, there are a lot of well-fed uh, military-age males from countries that are not our friends that are moving across the border in groups wearing the same shirts and the same watches and with the same shoes on, right? 
there, there, there's a lot of that going on too. So anyway, big picture, right? That's kind of your overall environment. And I just don't see, I don't see the political will in Washington and I don't see how this slows down in the near term. There's already uh, hundreds of thousands of people moving north uh, towards the United States right now that are not even in northern Mexico yet, right? Uh, Costa Rica has got a, close to 100,000 just in Costa Rica. Um, and so is this going to stop in the near term? No, definitely not. Long term, maybe, um, depending on potentially who the next president is and how hard whoever that president is puts his foot down or her foot down. Um, and depending on the makeup of Congress and all that, you may get some type of, of change. Um, interesting to me that the, uh, the UN is now saying the most dangerous border, the most dangerous uh, migratory border in the world, or however they phrased it, is the U.S. southern border. Um, so typically, you know, you read things like that and say, oh, okay, so the UN said so, who cares? Well, who cares generally are the politicians. They do care uh, when the UN comes out and says things like that. So you've got some factors that long term may slow the flow, but man, it's it's just going to keep on going like this over the next you know six or eight months for sure. Or longer. Uh, what what do you think the the second and third order effects of this are going to be? here in the United States. So, you know, for context, we've seen the uh, past couple of weeks, we've seen the the uh, uh, statements that have been put out by uh, New York City's Mayor Eric Adams, uh, which is definitely, I think, a canary in the coal mine. Uh, we've seen, you know, as I pointed out, the mayor of Dallas switching political parties. Now, I wouldn't say necessarily that the, the border was the sole factor in that, but right. it probably has something to do with it. I mean, you got to think this guy is reading the tea leaves and saying, hey, you know, my political party is not taking this situation seriously. And Dallas, even though it's not on the border, they've been feeling the effects of this for a very long time now. You know, they see it for what it is, and he's saying, hey, enough is enough. Um, you know, so I don't think that that's a singular factor with him, but it definitely is is a big aspect of it. Um, yeah. He's looking at, at his voter base is saying, "Hey, you know, we, we got to do something here." Uh, so, where do you see all of this going nationally, and then break it down uh, at least in the what you see is the most affected regions as this uh, this this immigrant storm uh, this this invasion continues. Yeah, I mean, just on Eric Johnson, real quick. I mean, he's um, he switched over uh, for a variety of um, for a variety of reasons, but it's also one of those things that's been coming for a while. <laughs> for um, you know, I, I'm here in Texas, and you know, there've been a lot of other folks that have, have said this is coming for a while. One of the things that he kept talking about, though, as to why he made the switch, was um, public safety issues. Um, you know, homelessness, um, being soft on crime, things like that, right? So a lot of that does at least trickle back to the immigration issue because so much of the, the issue in Dallas is not just illegal immigrants, uh, but it's also 
the growing and expanding uh, drugs issue in Dallas. And then there, there's just no real penalty for it. I mean, it, it's not Seattle. It's not San Francisco, right? Where they're giving you needles and such, right? Um, but it, but for by Texas standards, <laughs> right? Uh, it's, it's really bad by Texas standards. Um, and so that was a big part of it. So you could say that, um, yeah, the, the illegal immigration and especially the drugs that are coming across um, with those illegal immigrants who are being who are being used by the cartels or just the fact that um, the Border Patrol is so tied up with uh, dealing with illegal immigrants that it makes the cartels job a lot easier right, to, to get across the border elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, I do think that that's something of a factor in his decision. Um, by the way, when I'm saying, um, uh, when I'm referring to illegal immigrants, in my mind, you're not an illegal immigrant until you've crossed the border illegally. You're a migrant until that point, right? So all those folks in, who travel from Southern Mexico to Northern Mexico and haven't crossed our border yet, they're just migrating. And then they cross the border and they become an illegal immigrant, right? I have to clarify that. Uh, because depending on the the podcast that I'm on, you know, you'll see the comments down yeah. below afterwards. They're illegal. They're illegal immigrants. Well, not when they're in Mexico, <laughs> or the opposite. No, you can't call them illegal immigrants. They're migrants. Well, when they're in Mexico, they're migrants. Anyway, just a point of clarification yeah. there, right? Cross the border illegally. Suddenly, now I, I can put an illegal in front of it, right? Um, but anyway, so when you've got all this illegal immigration, I, I think that uh, Governor Abbott's plans of of busing migrants, illegal immigrants all over the country is pretty brilliant. Um, it, it's something of a political stunt, but at the same time, it's really driving home the point to cities like New York City that this is a national issue um, that you're completely sweeping under the rug and looking at this the wrong way. Um, the, and really what New York is doing now is they're, is they're telling uh, these illegal, illegal immigrants that we're not going to give you a hotel. You're going to stay in this shelter, this designated shelter, a lot of times they're giving them one to two weeks and they're evicting them and they're encouraging them strongly to go elsewhere. Um, New York's not helping them get work permits anymore, which is very interesting. And, and all these things just to make it, it a, a kind of a harsh environment there in New York for these folks who are bust in either, you know, willfully or not. Um, one of the things they said, too, is that New York is one of the most expensive places in the country to live. You, you should go somewhere else. Right? So and New York is being pushed to that point because of just, just a few thousand people. It's not like New York's receiving 100,000 people like check out El Paso. Right. Much smaller city that's getting 10x or better um, the influx that New York is. So I think it's something of a, of a brilliant strategy there because you're pushing out the problem to some of the areas that politically are supporting this type of thing. They're supporting illegal immigration. Um, some places like California, even providing driver's licenses and such, right? Um, so spreading it out is a good thing, in my opinion, because it brings greater awareness. A lot of people in New York City who are very much in support of this type of thing may not be anymore, right? Depending on the impacts of. One of the biggest impacts though, to me is um, there's obviously workforce issues that come with this um, down the line. There are issues with um, just American dollars being spent to support uh, those who can't support themselves and shouldn't necessarily be in the United States at all. 
um, that should be getting support in their in their home countries. Um, you've got the uh, the second order effect of the drugs that I mentioned. It's much easier for the cartels to do what they do when the border patrol is completely tied up with the migration issues. And a lot of the a lot of the uh, the illegal immigrants who do make it across are carrying drugs for the cartel. That's not uncommon uh, to see that happen. Um, so the drugs are pouring in at a greater rate. Obviously, the, America's got an opioid crisis. I do agree that it is a crisis. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's a lot of data out there showing just the vast amount of people who are getting on hard drugs at higher rates than ever before. And then, of course, fentanyl is, is in a lot of those things and it's killing a lot of people. Um, so all of those are, you know, second, third order effects down the line. Um, and I think one that, you know, some people view this as kind of fantastical, but I don't think it is, is that you have to wonder, you have to be cognizant of the fact that down the line, if we do eventually get into a war with China, for example, which I think is inevitable over a long enough time frame, um, not saying the next five years or some or anything, but eventually you know, rising powers challenge the existing powers. This is what happens in history, right? Uh, over and over and over again. So unless we completely deny history, at some point, there's likely a conflict coming between the United States and China. And we do know that there are a lot of, of military-aged Chinese males crossing the border. So it's not, it's not fantastical to say that there will be effects of that if a war eventually starts. What, what are those people going to do? even if they're not directly sent into the United States by the CCP, but their loyalty is still back at home, right? You could have a lot of lone wolf type scenarios, right? Um, where you've got a lot of infrastructure damage or terroristic activities or, or intelligence gathering or who knows what. Um, and so you have to be cognizant of that as well, that it's not just an issue of, of drugs and money and, uh, you know, job opportunities and things like that. There's also a real strategic issue here for the United States down the line uh, that could very much rear its ugly head. So uh, we've got several contacts in DC and one of the things that they consistently talk about is the issue of the Chinese military age males. And there's a lot more of those crossing the border than what most people are aware of. Um, so I'm somewhat limited on what I can say on that topic, but <laughs> oh, but it's, no, it's no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm certainly right there with you, man. It's a lot more than people think. Yeah, it's that's that's you know, I've said it, you know, I, and you know, I <laughs> I kind of have to uh, be cautious of what I'm saying too. It, you know, I've pointed it out. Uh, as have you and, and several others and you know, people that, that I'm in contact with that are, that are uh, very much in the know mm -hmm. on it. Um, this, this is extremely concerning. Um, and and to, to put it into context, if, you know, let's say one out of every hundred of the people coming across the border from China, Mm -hmm. All right now, there's there's some realities here that I'm about to get into in a second, which probably dovetail well with your assessment. Um, but let's say one out of every hundred has organization training, 
firearms training, even at a basic level, training in sabotage, uh, you know, for what we would call uh, and have called in the past, uh, you know, stay behind operations. You know, you, you need each of those skills, uh, radio operators, big one, understanding HF in particular and that shortwave. Let's say one out of every hundred. That's still a heck of a lot of people. You're, you're yeah. talking about a, an army coming across the border from China that we're going to have a really tough time dealing with. And that's just China with Iran. Uh, I've got some contacts in, uh, you know, in D.C., but but uh, tech, this came specifically from Texas DPS that they were tracking in El Paso. They were tracking some guys from uh, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, the Quds Force, that disappeared. They were gone. Once they got past Kastner Range, which is uh, far northeast El Paso, once they were up there, they were gone. Those guys disappeared. Um, they weren't on the highways anymore. And so uh, for anybody that's familiar with El Paso and Las Cruces and that area, you've got I-10 and there's border checkpoints on I-10 when you're going, you know, either uh, eastbound or westbound. Right. So they, they, you know, they're scanning trucks and, you know, they've got their checkpoints. They've got checkpoints on Highway 54, um, you know, which is going up into towards uh, Ridoso and Donana County and, and, you know, that whole area. They've got their, their checkpoints out there. But if you're making your way on foot and, you know, these guys, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, that's their SF. I mean, that, that's Iran's special operations forces. These guys are trained to a higher degree. And that environment, the high desert, desert mountains, that's, hey, you know, that, that's, that's just like Iran to them. That, that's just like home. They know how to exist in that environment. So... That was very concerning. Now, I didn't get any updates. That was, you know, that, that went stale. That was some time back uh, a few months ago. Haven't heard anything else about that since. But just taking that into account, you've got the Chinese, you've got the Iranians. I would venture to say that there's a strong possibility Russians are involved in this, too. Um, they're all coming across the border. And it, you know, from at least from our political class and what the the, uh, you know, my assessment of the situation, just looking at it objectively from uh, the politics of the situation, the uh, what our political class is telling us from both parties, uh, what we're seeing in the news, doesn't really seem like anybody is taking this as seriously as they need to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think the there's a lot less of that from Russia because they've been here already for decades, right? Russia doesn't need to send anybody. Uh, there's a lot, there is some evidence of that, but not like there is from China and Iran and some of these other places. Um, but, you know, the effects of this are that any significant war that the United States becomes engaged in is going to carry greater risk at home than any war we have experienced since the civil war that's that that's the truth of the matter right uh, you could argue that had we lost the world wars okay there'd be a lot of risk at home um, i don't share that assessment <laughs> personally um, i think that uh, even had the united states lost world war ii for example that 
um, ultimately neither Japan nor Germany uh, would have the resources to get across the ocean and actually secure land, you know, here in the United States. Um, nor was domestic sabotage really a thing that we were too concerned about, didn't really have reason to be too concerned about, right? Um, but now in this current environment uh, is something we've never faced before, that if we do get into a significant war with China, Russia, Iran in particular, um, they are guaranteed to have folks here in the United States that we have lost track of, right, that we are unable to keep tabs on that are going to be working on their behalf. And it's not going to be numbered in the dozens. It's going to be numbered in the hundreds or thousands, especially in China's case. Right. So domestic disturbances, domestic unrest, probably targeted assassinations, things of that nature are going to be happening. Um, Infrastructure damage, all that is on the table uh, if slash when (laughs) we we get into a war, especially with China. Um, and, and I think that that's something that our political class is essentially ignoring. Um, late stage empire type stuff, right? Where you think you're invincible, you look at your victories in the past and you look at your current status and you say uh, that we don't have to be too terribly concerned about those folks. We're buying their stuff, they're buying from us. We have a good economic relationship. Uh, they wouldn't dare. Well, yeah, they would. And eventually will. Um, yeah. And that's something that it's just it's easy for the politicians to uh, speak that under the rug and, and not have to just worry about the next election. Uh, worry about your gold bars coming over from Egypt. Right. Worry about that kind of thing, uh, as opposed to worrying <laughs> about what could really happen in the future. So you, now you wouldn't be talking about the great senator from 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 uh new jersey would you oh no they both, <laughs> both senators from new jersey are just top of the line fellows that i would never say a word against top people just top, top we have top men top Dr. Jones. men, top top men. men. What, that's what egypt would say anyway <laughs> allegedly well you know and and that was something uh uh two days ago i pointed out when one i was talking about it uh did a podcast a couple days ago on a um, you know, gold is a great way to, uh, to, to launder money for a lot of reasons. It's, yeah. uh, you know, art is another way that they do it, but, but gold specifically is a very easy way to launder money because you can just melt it down mm-hmm. and reform it as he did. And there's no way to track where any of it came from. It's untraceable, you know, and he, he, uh, the hubris of this guy is really, really something because he, you know, he uh, stamped it with his own senatorial stamp. Like, man, yeah, you're pretty, uh, pretty gutsy here. You know, I don't know, man. It, it takes a. I mean, he he's corrupt. They're all corrupt. I'm not defending the guy at all, but it's like, man, you know, you're you're. This is this is really impressive. Um, and uh, yeah, watches you know, are another one. Watches are, yeah, watches. One. I mean, oh, yeah, there's watches yeah. can be worth millions, right? So, mm-hmm. that's a pretty, you, you can wear it with you, and most people won't know it's worth millions and take it wherever you want to go and get rid of it. It's, that, that's a really easy one, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. nah, it, it's, it, I, th- I think you're spot on with all of that, though. And, and it, it's, you know, the late stage 
nature of empires. We, we're right on that parallel. I mean, and, yeah. and people like Peter Zion, who, you know, don't mess with the Zions, as I like to say. <laughs> I mean, this this guy, is, he is, uh, why he has such an audience, I, I really don't understand. There's a lot of confirmation bias that comes out of him. But the 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 thing is with him is is that he is telling you what everybody in the the DC Politburo mm -hmm. that are that are the, the insular class that's up there that you know America is infallible and um, you know we're we're the no betters and nobody will yeah. ever dare to do any of this stuff. He is telling you he's saying the quiet part out loud about this. This is how these people think because he's thinking it too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, no, there's there's no way. You know, and the crux of that position of where I'm going with this is, is that China essentially can't rival the United States because they're going to face a demographic implosion. They're going to face an economic implosion uh, based on, you know, the, the number of surplus males that they have in their population and that their uh, their basically their economic structure is hinged upon trade with the United States. I don't disagree with those points uh, at all, but they are assuming that we maintain the markets that we have, which we are not, uh, and that we are inherently, our, our economy is inherently going to remain in stasis, which we see is also not happening. Um, we're yeah. facing a demographic decline of our own, and nobody seems to want to want to discuss that. Uh, we're, we're a much smaller uh, place in the world, even though we are the largest economy in the world, it's not always going to be that way, and it's not that simple. And further, he he predicates uh, China's inferiority militarily to our manufacturing capability. Well, we can look at Ukraine and point to you know the the fact that our war making material engine is stalled out. It's picking back up now, but we're still five years out, seven years out on a lot of this critical infrastructure. And to boot, and this is something that nobody really ever talks about, we need a lot of high technology to go into to our premier weapon systems. Well, that chip manufacturing is still a big part of the question there and the elements that we need for that. We've seen China make moves on that with, with restricting trade in gallium. We saw that. Uh, I'm sure that you saw that earlier this week. These are these are very, very significant things. I think that this is going to ratchet up. I don't think anybody can accurately predict where this is going to go. But to think that, that the United States is going to be unscathed by all this, yeah. that, yeah. oh, we're, we're fine. Uh, you, you might want to go check your math, brother. Yeah, I mean, you got you have to think in probabilities, right, uh, on all of this type of thing, right? You don't want to make definitive statements on anything because to make a definitive statement, especially in geopolitics and major trend lines, is to assume that you have all the data and your analysis is perfect, right? So you have to think in probabilities. Probabilities um, is something that uh, very few people consider. Uh, they want to make definitive statements. And I think for, for Zihan, he does make some good points about demographics and uh, about China's reliance on the United States. So a lot of those are valid points. Um, but it, I think that the, the lack of probabilistic analysis 
And then also just the, the really um, significant bias that's dripping <laughs> out of everything he does uh, really decreases the validity of a lot of what he puts out there, right? Um, yeah, China's economy is not in great shape. Their shadow banking industry uh, could lead to a financial crisis with effects globally. Their property sector is in big trouble. Evergrande, you know, we've been covering that in the hotspot report pretty consistently. Um, a lot of those issues are, are going to come home to roost. And I think that China is uh, aware of that and is desperately trying to shore itself up. One of the pieces of evidence is that we covered this um, I believe it was last week uh, in the report that uh, China's lending to Africa has absolutely bottomed out. It went from 48 billion in 2016 uh, to just under a billion last year. So 48 billion to one or just under one. And most of those funds, some of those funds were redirected uh, to Latin America for port infrastructure that they're building uh, and mm -hmm. things like that. But some of it, the majority of it was redirected back into their domestic economy. Major, major red flag there, right, for their economy. So I, I just say that to say, yeah, China is going to have problems. They're going to have economic problems. They're in the midst of some of them now. They're going to have demographic problems. Um, a lot of the world that formerly was blind to the threat that China posed is no longer. A lot of the European countries are at least starting to wake up a little bit and restrict Chinese purchases of infrastructure, things like that. Um, a lot of you know countries like the Philippines were under the previous administration uh, there in the Philippines was, was getting as close to China as they possibly could. Now they're going the opposite direction. Um, there's a lot of that going on um, that's negative for China, but there are still a lot of things that remain such as uh, they need to do something with all those young men. <laughs> Um, they can turn out, I will call it mid-tech military equipment at an astounding rate, drones, right? Things like that. Not, yep. not, um, not F-35s, which have been having their own problems, you know, not saying they're the pinnacle of anything, but China yeah. can turn out smaller naval vessels and drones and artillery and all these other things at a rate that no one in the world can come close to matching, right? And so there's still some strategic advantages there. So when you consider all that, when you consider that um, if there is a war to be fought that starts out in the South China Sea, East China Sea, Taiwan Strait, those areas that China's really close to that, we're not. And so just getting across the Pacific is a massive obstacle that, that we're going to have to face. And we're opening up new air bases. We're refurbishing World War II era air bases all over the Pacific. Um, in order to get ready for that, for survivability and things of that nature. That's ongoing now, and it's going to really escalate in 2024. Um, so you've got a lot of factors, right? And, and I say all that to say that China is still, in my opinion, a superpower, and they're going to be a superpower uh, that continues to grow, at least in the near term, regardless of what happens with the United States. So I think that you have to be cognizant of that if you're reading Zihan or, or anybody else, uh, you know, of his type, that a, a country like China with China's leadership and China's resources is not simply going to um, throw in the towel and, and go away. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, I did a, a long report, uh, a closer look that we call it at Knife Bridge um, on Wednesday 
uh, September 27th, specifically on China's port infrastructure, all their overseas ports, all the places they have their fingers in, they, the ports they control, the ports they're invested in, uh, and, and the strategic advantage of their port network alone is staggering should there be some type of, of conflict breakout. So I know we were talking about the border, and I don't know how we got yeah. China. Yeah, because uh, it, it, they're all related. <laughs> yeah. They're all related. I mean, it, you know, China China is fully exploiting the situation on our border. Yes. And and anybody that denies that, you know, my lying eyes, right? I mean, we, you can't, and, and this is one of the things, man, you, you can't just walk out of a totalitarian society like the China, what, what the Chinese Communist Party has, the grasp of power that it has on China. You don't just exit that, just, you know, just, ah, I think I'm going to go over here. You know, guys, it's been fun. I'm, I'm going to head over here. You know, in mass, you don't. Not, do in, not in significant numbers, you don't. No. No, it, it's it's not happening. Um, you know, you don't leave most countries like that. You don't, you, you know, they because in, in America, we have a hard time grasping just the level of control that the Chinese have. I mean, the uh, what some of the the advocates for central planning uh, on the Democrat side are saying, you know, about. Uh, social credit score and how that relates to your personal finances and, you know, how many miles you can drive this whole question of 15 minute cities and, and so on and so forth. China's already there. China's the model for all that. And you don't have access to your income. You don't have access to any of that stuff because it's all centralized and it's controlled. Um, that, that's the way that it works. So even exiting the country is a difficult thing to do. You know, so it would be foolish for anyone taking a sober look at the border, the situation there, if we did not include China in that, because they're exploiting it. They are an enemy nation. They are absolutely exploiting the situation. That is that is their goal. They're sending people there. It's a type of gray zone warfare. I would suggest, um, you know, if if people really want to, to get a deep dive on this is look at the amount of hegemony, uh, the degree of hegemony that China has sought in Nicaragua and Cuba and Venezuela, uh, Colombia, even with, with, uh, you know, with Lula in Brazil, that was really a, a big telling moment, but it completely overshadowed the fact that our longest and most stable ally in South America, Colombia, just had an election where Juan Gustavo Petro, who is a former, quote unquote, communist guerrilla from M19, is now all of a sudden the president. And his whole platform was forcing the influence of the United States out of Colombia. That was what he ran. Uh, of course, it was very, his, his campaign was very similar to uh, Barack Obama's in a lot of ways. I, I don't know how quite, uh, closely you followed it, but I did. And uh, he's, mm -hmm. he's, it was interesting for a lot of reasons. Uh, but, but then he did. And he immediately normalized relations with the Russians and with China. And, and uh, very significantly, and I think that this was the most significant uh, in terms of, of uh, their relationship with America, he 
put Taiwan in a different category. Uh, so that, you know, we no longer recognize them as a separate nation from China. That was extremely telling. And so when you take into account all of these, the, these factors, you're putting these together, there, there's a bigger picture that's being painted. here. Uh, China is seeking a larger amount of hegemony. Now, you know, the, the economics of the situation may or may not work uh, long term. And, you know, South America, every one of those nations is not exactly a model of stability uh, long term either. Um, you know, you already pointed out Argentina's perfect example of that. They, it's, they're in a perpetual state of chaos. But uh, China is absolutely seeking to exploit that situation. And, and I think that they have very uh, dire long term goals for us here in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And a big part of that, <clears throat> excuse me, is, um, you know, there's a lot of Chinese investment in, in South America. That's we all know that. Right. Ports, infrastructure, mining, agriculture, all of it. But what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, when China is investing in these infrastructure projects and such in nearly every one of those deals, there are clauses that the host country has to bring in X amount of Chinese workers to work those deals. So if you've got a new port being built in, in Chile, for example, right, it, you, you may have 30% Chinese workers, 70% Chilean workers. What that adds up to is hundreds of thousands of Chinese workers. And, and I've tried really hard to nail down a good number. It's basically impossible to do to nail down a good number with all these projects. You got 20,000 here, 10,000 there. Um, my best estimate is between 300 and 400,000 Chinese workers uh, in South America right now. So it's within the realm of possibility, right? That a lot of these workers are sent over, uh, they complete their projects or what have you. And their next mission is to go to the United States. That's, that's they're already there, right? What they're the hell already. They're already, they already know, a lot of them speak the languages. They speak Spanish uh, or Portuguese or, or what have you. They speak the language. They, they know the terrain to an extent. They know how to operate, right, in, in, a, in a Latin American nation. And so it's not a terribly difficult thing <laughs> for them to typically take a bus all the way up to the border. Um, that's a factor too that I think a lot of people don't realize is just how many Chinese workers are already in in South America uh, that are just they're just ready to go. They they could move across the border uh, within you know a few weeks or a few months if told to by the Chinese Communist Party because like you mentioned earlier, uh, their control over their population is near total. Right. Um, not quite total, but but pretty close. Right. So that's that's just another factor. It's yet another factor why. Uh, leaving the southern border as open as it is uh, constitutes a strategic disadvantage long term for the United States. Right. Yeah, you know, th that's something that I hadn't previously thought about. Uh, you know, I, I was very aware of, of the number of Chinese workers that were a requirement for their deals in Africa. But I hadn't really considered that in South America and Central America, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in Nicaragua. When the canal zone in Nicaragua started, and it was about a decade ago that they started mm -hmm. laying the, the uh, foundation for that, and that since stalled out. Um, mm -hmm. I think the 
it stalled out in 2017, and they, they haven't really done much with it since. And um, just off the top of my head, I, I don't recall exactly what happened. There was some legal hang-up. Um, mm. But it, 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 where did those workers go, though? Because there was that was a Chinese-led project. Because mm-hmm. uh, the you know the Panama Canal is is getting old and more expensive to keep up every single year, uh, and and now the the channel locking system is is prone to malfunction, so they want to create a new one, uh, which is one of the reasons that Daniel Ortega, uh, the last time that he was elected, was elected. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of course, he was longtime uh, communist guerrilla leader, uh, Soviet-backed guerrilla leader of the Sandinistas. And, uh, you know, now that he's he's advanced in age into his mid 60s, um, you know, he, he's now the president of the country. He finds himself the president of the country and he's got a lot of Chinese money behind. him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that's something I hadn't considered. You know, in Africa, you, you look all across Africa and there are uh, Chinese workers everywhere. I mean, the Central African Republic, I've got some friends that that uh, work there as contractors uh, security contractors for uh, personal protection and uh, site security and you know, a few other things, you know, and, and they, you wouldn't believe how many Chinese are there and that there, there are, there's this, this massive Chinese presence all across Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ghana is another really good example of that. And, uh, you know, they, they, uh, the uh, some questions regarding the, the gene editing of, of babies uh, from a few years back, they had a, a researcher that was doing uh, their version of a TED talk talking about how they, they were uh, creating or seeking to create AIDS resistant people. Mm-hmm. Why would they do that? I mean, where, where, what continent has AIDS, you know, absolutely devastated the Africa? You know, but but I hadn't really thought about that, that, you know, that, that a lot of these guys, their, their secondary mission uh, is Chinese workers. They're not going back home. And now, now, buddy, you're going north. Uh, you're, yeah, you're the vast the, the, the vast majority are single men in good physical condition, you know, under the age of 35 or so. That's that's your average Chinese worker somewhere in your 20s. You don't really have a family to go back to. You're not married. Um, you're in good enough condition to do, you know, hard physical labor and not, they're not all doing hard physical labor. Some of them are in more skilled positions, right? But you're, you kind of fit the bill of a military aged male, right? Because th- those are your best workers. Um, those are also the ones most likely to cause problems at home in China. <laughs> so you, why not send them to Latin America? They make good money there. Um, most of them don't go under protest. It's not like they're being forced to go. But they're being somewhat selected and sent over. And then and then the, the difficult thing about it, too, like I said, I, I have a rough idea of how many Chinese workers are in South America. Um, but it's really, truly impossible to know. Right. I'm, I'm throwing out very, very ballpark numbers like don't don't hold me to it, um, because what happens is you have X amount of workers assigned to a project. Well, if the project fails or the project is completed, where do they go from there? nobody knows i can't we can't track that yeah where does where do these ten thousand workers go at least on the open source side like we're we're not like pulling top secret clearances over here right (laughs) but at least on the the open source side from what we can tell that it's just impossible to know maybe they go to the next project 
maybe they go home, some of them. Uh, maybe they have a secondary purpose. Yeah, who knows where they go at that point. Um, you've also got a lot of folks, uh, a lot of Chinese in Venezuela, um, families, a lot of them that have moved there and lived there. And I'm not including that type of thing in those numbers. Um, right. But yeah, total infiltration uh, of almost everything south of our border, um, which again, it's just yet another strategic disadvantage, especially the Panama Canal situation. That's um, we did a, a closer look specifically on that. And I don't know if you're familiar with um, Colonel John Mills or not. Um, retired Colonel John Mills. He uh, he did several episodes with us talking about the Suez Canal, the Panama Canal, and painted a pretty dire picture. In his estimation, China could shut down the Suez and the Panama Canals um, simply by demanding that they be shut down, <laughs> right? Because they control the entrances to, on both sides and do a lot of the management of the canals and things like that. Um, I know that's a little bit off topic, but uh, another no. strategic another strategic issue for you, for the U.S. Yeah. south of the border. No, they're, they're all linked. They, this yeah, is yeah. one of those things that, that people look at these things as singular issues, right? and they're, they're not seeing the forest for the trees. They're all linked to one another. This, this is a broader strategic picture that is occurring here. Yes. Yeah, it, it truly is. And, you know, it's it's difficult to link things together sometimes, um, especially if someone's not necessarily confident in their own analysis or their own analytical ability. Um, the more biased someone is, the worse their analysis is going to be. And in my experience, you know, about 99.9% .9 of people are heavily biased and don't even know it. So that makes it a lot more difficult, right, for people to see a good strategic overall picture of where is this thing going? Um, because they they don't really have a good way of knowing if their own analysis is any good or not. So it, it's like, you know, it, it's tough out there. It's tough to draw these connections and then also know how valid or invalid those are. Um, but but overall, um, you know, when when the history of America is written hundreds of years in the future, looking back, you know, a la Roman Empire type stuff, um, I, I think that the weakness at the southern border is going to be pointed to by future historians as probably the straw that broke the camel's back, or at least one of the major, major factors that led to the eventual fall of America. Um, maybe, it, maybe it was the step before, maybe it's that, and then a major, you know, World War III, a uh, major war with China, something along those lines that finally kind of seals the deal for the United States. Um, but the the open border and all the after effects of that and the way it's being taken advantage of by China and others is going to be a significant problem for us in the future. And I think we have to to come to terms with that, even if the border was sealed off tomorrow, completely sealed off zero illegal immigration. The United States accepted no immigration, no migrants from anywhere in the world for the next hundred years. The damage is already done. And that's a little bit fatalistic. But I think it's an accurate assessment as well, looking back over the last 20 plus years of near unfettered immigration uh, coming across the border and what our adversaries have been able to do in that time. Um, you know, sealing the border is not going to be enough at this right. point. You know, it's it's just we're just too far down the road at this point. No, I agree 100 percent. It, it's. What I tell people when they they kind of give you some pushback, especially you know your, your comment to that's that's a little fatalistic. I mean it is, but realism 
and being realistic is is not always uh, bright and sunny. You know? Yeah, it's usually not popular either. Uh, no, <laughs> no. Now, wait a minute. What do you mean? You know, yeah. my 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 life and my my wealth and everything's going to be challenged. Yeah, yeah, it is, um, yeah. and in ways that that you may have never faced before. Uh, we, you know, as as a people, we have never faced before. Uh, we, we're we're facing an existential crisis. We 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 are being invaded, um, and, and you know I agree hundred percent that that you know if we shut down the border today uh, or tomorrow, which isn't going to happen. Okay, let's be real; it's not going to happen. <laughs> right, right. It's not going to happen in the next twelve months. Right. We're not coming back from this one. I, I mean, the cancer is terminal. But but with that said, you know it's not the end. Okay, that's not right. the end. And and when one thing goes away, something else will, will rise in its place. Um, you know, which you know, we, we can we can individually and as a people, we can survive our mistakes um and learn from them and create something anew. Which yeah, is yeah. You know, the the historically that's that's what we've done as people. Right. I, yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I think that the, you know, the border is unlikely to be sealed ever. I don't care who's president. <laughs> it's not likely to, you know, illegal immigration is a thing and it's going to be a thing because I don't think that any, any Congress or any president, uh, at least it's currently running for president, uh, is going to be able to actually do what needs to be done to actually seal a border DMZ type style. Right. And that's what it would take is it would take a North Korea, South Korea DMZ situation and, mm -hmm. and no one's going to do that. That's not going to happen. I don't care what any presidential candidate says. That's not going to happen. Um, and there's a million reasons why that we don't have time to get into, but, um, oh, yeah. but that's not going to happen. And so then you're left with a situation of, then you have to deal with the follow on effects of, right? You can reduce illegal immigration. You can build a wall. Wall's not going to stop illegal immigration by itself. Um, no. You can do all these things and these things should be done. I, I think every nation, I'm not just talking about the United States, every nation should secure its own borders. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, Nigeria should have secure borders. Chile should have secure borders, right? Poland should have secure borders. Everybody should, every country should secure their own sovereignty and their own borders. Yeah, that's just that's basic stuff right there. Um, you know, protect the people you're supposed to protect, which is your own people. Every country should be that way, um, you know, in an ideal world. But even if we were to do that again, you can't escape the effects of, of decades of this type of thing. And, and it's not a it's not a. Um, you know, my comments are not designed to to say um you know throw out all the hispanics or or the hispanic migrants are the problem that's not what i'm saying at all no. um if, if there was no hispanic migration to the united states i wouldn't have a, i wouldn't have a wife for example right um no. legal migration by the way um but there's there is a point where you have to take a more strategic approach and say on a nation building on a nation maintaining scale, this is bad. This is bad for us. This is bad for this country and ultimately bad for the world, because let's be honest, the United States has been 
um, the greatest force for good in the world that there's ever been, despite all our many flaws, right? We can talk right. about all our flaws and there are, there's untold flaws, but at the same time, you know, the United States has been a, a great force for good uh, throughout our history. Um, and so for the United States to fall, I think that would have devastating consequences for the rest of the planet as well. And we're just going to, you know, we're going to shoot our own selves in the foot with letting all the drugs and all the criminal activity and all the illegal immigration from all these other countries that hate us. You know, Right. Yeah. It, it's, you know, and, and I'm, I'm right there with you, you know, the, the, the uh, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit for Klimt, but uh, <laughs> it, it, I mean, the, 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 the situation is dire um, and yes. we're not going to get a solution out of Washington, D.C. And so I think kind of on a final note, you know, in surviving the coming storm from all angles, you know, as, as uh, my friend Kay says, you know, we have to be the, the, uh, best version of ourselves possible, you know, not for yourself, but for everybody you care about and everybody that cares about you. You know, you have to be a, a, a contributing factor to your community because uh, as, as another friend of mine, uh, Peter Rangel points out that, that, you know, the future is zip code based and, you know, these, these are zip code problems and, you know, and, and that's what I mean about surmounting the issues going forward is that you, you have, you're going to have to deal with them in a local sense. Um, and fortunately, they, I think there is some headway being made in that department. People are shifting how they're thinking, at least in what I'm seeing. But uh, with that said, man, I told you before we jumped on the air, man, an hour was going to fly by, and I feel like <laughs> we just scratched the surface. Wow, it has been an hour. It has been, man. It has been. <laughs> Brother, as always, it is it it has been a pleasure and an honor to have you on. Um, we went a little bit too long in between the, the times of getting you on the air. That is hundred yeah. percent my fault. Um, you know, but but getting getting the two of us to align our schedules is like hitting a bullet with a bullet. Yes, it is. Yeah, the travel is uh, the travel is pretty brutal for sure. I think for both of us. <laughs> yeah, fortunately. Fortunately, the past past month or so hasn't been too bad on my end. Everything's been local around here, but mm -hmm. on your end, oof, yeah, I spent the better better part of six weeks on the road, uh, barely home at all in that time frame. So, yeah, but it'll be a my schedule looks better over the winter, so we should we should do this more often for sure. Heck yeah! Where can people find you, and how can they absorb your content? Yeah, sure. So our website is knightsbridge.ltd. Uh, we are on Twitter or X or whatever the heck it's called these days uh, at <laughs> ABR underscore Intel. Um, and, and we provide uh, private intelligence services to the public. We have a pretty significant uh, stable of analysts and collectors and uh, various experts that uh, work with us. Uh, we have a lot of private clients that we do custom work for um, on a variety of things. Uh, but then we also have a more public facing subscription daily hotspot report, which comes out Monday through Friday. And then a once a week live briefing with Q&A and that type of thing as well. 
Uh, and all of that comes from our just the massive database that we've built over time. Um, we don't just cover the United States. We cover everything. We cover Indo-Pacific, the war in Ukraine, Europe, Latin America, Africa. And, and because we do that, you know, we can tie all of these things together in a strategic way that makes sense, right? Our coverage is not just U.S. It's, hey, this thing happened in Latin America, which is related to this other thing in the Middle East, which all ties back to China, for example. That's the kind of thing that's in our reporting. Um, anyway, so it's, you know, the, the Global Hotspot Report is $14.99 a month, about the cost of uh, a drive through meal these days. So stay healthy, don't eat fast food, and subscribe to the Global Hotspot Report instead. <laughs> so uh, if you put in code SCOUT, it's still valid. It'll still give you a free month. So there you go. The free month. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you know, no hard feelings. Go back to scrolling Twitter seven hours a day. <laughs> I, I, oh, that doom scrolling, I mean, man. You know what's doom crazy? Scrolling. You know what's crazy is we, we do subscriber surveys and things like that from time to time. And one of the things that consistently comes back is that people, it, it's not that they feel like they're getting some inside knowledge that no one knows about by reading our report like we're not doing top secret clearance stuff over here right but what it is is they don't have to spend two hours doing their own digging through 17 websites and doom scrolling twitter and facebook and all this other stuff reading and consuming all this not knowing how it ties together <clears throat> not knowing if it's even valid or not they can just read our report and, and our team's doing that for you so it's a big time saving thing that's what people consistently come back and say is I can read your report and save a huge amount of time and know that what I'm reading is verified and is vetted um, as opposed to wasting so much time elsewhere. So, you know, yeah, there's <laughs> Twitter is hit or miss, man. There, there's, yeah. there's some great stuff on there. And then there's the, the QAnon. Uh, oh, yeah. Tinfoil hat <laughs> people, you know, crazy cat lady. Uh -huh. yeah and even this, people, and even people law in 2024 oh yeah yeah the world's ending october 4th i saw so good knowing you um uh, you know i, I don't saw, even know what that's about <laughs> i, I, Dude, I, I i've been i've been out of the hot loop i've had classes back to back to back here mm -hmm. i don't even know like somebody pointed that out like what do you think about october 4th i'm like <laughs> a day next week i don't know yeah yeah like yeah. huh the world ain't gonna end I wish I could. I wish I could put a bet on it not ending October fourth. It's crazy <laughs> that there's so much of that out there, and there's so much. I, I taught a class recently, a private class, says thirty folks, maybe 30, 32 folks, something like that. And it, the the entire class was on bias, but it was also on source and information <laughs> validation, so admiralty stuff, you know, all that. Um, yeah. But but on the bias part too, it's just incredible that one of the things that no one addresses is their own inherent bias. And so when you're getting stuff put out there, it may be fairly credible and fairly valid, but it's just so slanted. And a lot of times the people putting that information out don't even realize it. They're just operative at that point, right? right. Like they're not valid sources of information because they're so heavily biased and they don't even know it. And they may say they're not, but if, if we don't directly address bias, in ourselves and, and in Knightsbridge, it's a huge thing for us. We, we, we're just a dog <clears throat> with a bone when it comes to bias and mitigating bias and making sure that what we put out is not biased. 
um, that it makes you see everyone else a little more clearly like my goodness the bias just drips out of everything they do and guess what your admiralty you know you're going down that scale a little bit lower <laughs> at that point uh so then your your information's tainted you as a source is tainted and, and you just can't escape that anymore especially on twitter right everybody's got an agenda and it's just oh, it's yeah. just crazy it's just it's a it's a sad state of affairs in my opinion which is one of the reasons we launched the global hotspot report in the first place so yeah well, I think it's a heck of a good product, and it's one that, that uh, you know, all the listeners out there, you need to be taking advantage of this thing um, to stay ahead of it. I mean, for the business information aspect, that's mm -hmm. that's huge. You know, yeah. we, we kind of get wound around the axle with politics and everything, and, and I'm not saying that's not important. Obviously, it is. I talk about it a lot. But for business information. You know, staying ahead of the curve on where to put your money, what investments to get into, maybe where you want to stay away from, what some of the futures might, might look like. Hey, you know, politics, business, international relations, they're all tied together. You need to get that information, uh, you know, and, and, and stay ahead of that curve. Uh, brother, it has been an absolute honor once more to have you on, man. Always great. And an hour just flies by. Like doing this podcast with you, there, there's only a couple of guests that I say this about, but it's it's a day off, man, because <laughs> it, it's like I don't even have to do anything. You just take it and you, you run with it. I love it. And there's just oh, yeah. natural flood. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Always good stuff. All right. And head on over to brushbeater.store for all of your communications and uh, tactical gear needs over there. We've got a bunch of products that are getting ready to launch as well. I'm really, really excited about some of the things that we're going to be bringing to market within the next month. Of course, we're going to have night vision and thermal still on the tap. We have freeze-dried food that is on the way. And I'm really, really to be, uh, really had too much coffee here. I'm really, really excited to be offering this to the public as well. Really creating that one-stop shop for all of your needs to make you better prepared tomorrow than you are today for all of the things that are coming down the pipe. With that said, folks, God bless, and I'll talk to you again very, very soon. This is NC Scout, out.